ma
So you just kind of add this onto the list of what kind of makes us weird. This is another one right here. So in Luke chapter 22, here's the context. Um, Jesus is about to die. I mean, he is hours away from his death. He's got his inner circle with him in an upper room, and he is going to kind of walk through what he wants them to continue doing after he dies. So in Luke 22, verse 14, here is the start of what we'd call the Lord's Supper. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, this is Luke 22, now we're in verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired, I have doubly desired, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. Okay, now when when you hear that word Passover, that word explodes with meaning when you go back to Exodus and you pick up this idea of the Passover, where it's the, the celebratory meal that they would celebrate together what God did in freeing them from bondage in Egypt. So it's their celebratory meal as they look back over a past act of God in their life. So he's saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Uh, before I suffer, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled, uh, not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he gives this, do this in remembrance of me. So it's not left like a preference or a discussion here. He's saying, do this. Like this is something you need to continue doing. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so when you, when you kind of get this picture going here, you've got Jesus. He's at the table and he's going to say, listen, you need to do this. So here's another thing to add to that, that get me thing. So it's not only you get Jesus, it's you get your swimsuit and then you grab the bread and the juice. Now I'm just saying that's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit weird, right? Like if if you have no Christian, um, if, if you're in here today and this is your first time to be in a church and you heard this, if I'm you, I would probably, like when they pray, I'm keeping one eye open, right? Making sure they don't get me in the middle of all this. I mean, it's just a little bit weird. You've got, you've got bread and, and juice. You've got this, do this in remembrance of me. I, I don't know about you, but typically when I think of bread, I don't think of Jesus. I think of Subway, right? And so it's just a little bit of a different thing going on. So Jesus is starting this thing that we would call the Lord's Supper, communion, depending on what tradition you grew up in. So he's saying, this is something I want you to do as on a continual basis after I have left. You're to do communion. Okay, so let me link baptism and communion together with an imagery here. Okay, so, so last week we talked baptism. And we went through the hows and the whys and the whats, tried to build a theology around baptism. And and, and here's what we kind of said as it relates to baptism. That baptism is an initial declaration. It's this initial line in the sand that I belong to Jesus and I belong to the church. It's this initial identification with God. Like we are on his team. He is ours, we're his. Okay, now now maybe to bring this this to light, you might could use the imagery of a marriage, right? So, um... Guys, do you remember the first day you met your girl? Okay, so you you met your wife, and then eventually you proposed. Okay, hopefully you asked parents, you did all that you proposed. And then there was a day that you stood before a public group of people, and she came down the aisle, called the wedding day, right? Okay, now think of it in terms of that wedding day was your initial identification with that lady. 
Ladies, that was your initial identification with that man. That was the day that you said these vows that in sickness and in health, richer for poor, regardless of the circumstances, I am with them. They are mine. I am theirs. It was our initial identification that I am hers. No longer am I my possession. I am Laura's possession. Initial identification. Uh, okay, so, so baptism would be something real similar to that. It would be this initial identification. I am on his team. He is my master. I am his servant. No longer do I have the rights, the control of my life. I've laid all of those things down. He has the right to determine now the direction of my life. He's mine. I am his. Our lives are forever intertwined. That's baptism. Okay, so, so you've got the, the imagery of, of the wedding day. Okay, now communion, um, it would be this continual identification with Christ and the church. So it's not the initial communion, the Lord's Supper. It is this continual identification that I was his and I am still his. Okay, now, now to kind of press this wedding imagery, you might think of communion as the anniversary days. Right? So on the anniversary, that might be a great time to renew your commitment. That might be a great time to renew your vows. That's a great time to continue what you started at your wedding. So the anniversary is the day that we would celebrate and say, I am thankful for this marriage. Thank God for that lady. Thank God for that man. And and I am continually saying, I am still yours. You're still mine. I'm still identifying with you. I'm still publicly saying, you are mine. I am yours. And and we would all agree that anniversaries are pretty important, right? Guys, you just forget one and they'll probably remind you really quickly with about three nights on the couch. They are important, right? And, And so the Lord's Supper in the same way, it's an important thing. We're continually identifying ourselves with our God, with our Savior. Okay, so that's the imagery here. So we're going to try to do the same thing, kind of the same format this week. Try to answer three, four, five questions that kind of revolve around this issue of communion. What it means to take the Lord's Supper, the hows and the whys. To kind of give us a theology built around communion. Okay, so here we go. Here's question number one for us. Question number one goes like this. Who is communion for? Like, who is it that gets to dip the bread in the juice? Who is communion for? Here would be the answer to that. Communion is for those in Christ. Okay, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, flip back one chapter to 1 Corinthians 10 and pick it up in verse 14. Communion is for those in Christ. So flip back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. And here's what you're going to see there. Paul's going to say, Therefore, my beloved... Free from idolatry, verse 15, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is not, uh, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? You might circle or underline that word participation. So is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, this, this communion thing that we're doing? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body and we all partake of one bread. So you might underline that that word participation, that word partake. And and here's what he's saying. Communion, partaking of of the bread and the blood of Jesus here. This is for people in Christ. Like if you're not in Christ, it just doesn't make sense, right? And and so there's nothing special about this this bread. Like this bread and juice, you can get it anywhere. But, But for us in Christ... This has this beautiful and deep symbolic meaning of what Christ has done for us. For for us, it's sacred, right? It's the sacred celebration and sacred proclamation of all that God has done. 
for those in Christ. Okay, now this might be even a better answer to that question note. Maybe press it just a little bit deeper. Who is communion for? This might be a better way to say it. Communion is for those in right standing with Christ. Okay, so we're going to press it just a little bit deeper. It's for those that are in Christ and, and maybe better answer for those who are right with God, who are in right standing with Christ. Okay, but flip back to 1 Corinthians 11. We read this, kind of that passage through just a second ago. Look down to verse 27 there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Uh, Okay, so here's what he's saying. That before you're ready to take the Lord's Supper, it is for those in right standing with God. It is for those who known sin in their life is being dealt with. That known sin in their life is being fought. It is for those, not for those, taking it in an unworthy manner, not examining yourself. Here's what that means. It means that there is sin in your life that you know of, that you've thrown up your hands and said, I don't care anymore. I'm done fighting it. Okay, unworthy manner, not examining yourself is, is sin that is going unfought, that is lying there with no determined resolve to fight it. With no determined effort that I'm going to put this thing to death. That's what it means to do it in an unworthy manner without examining yourself. Examining yourself means that those areas in life that we continually struggle with, that we are continually repenting before the Lord with a determined resolve to put those things to death. In right st- that's what it means to be in right standing with Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means for those areas where we, are, we know that we're not perfect, we are repenting. We are confessing of those things with a deser- determined resolve to fight them. Okay, that's what it means to take it in a worthy manner, examining yourself. Okay, now he- here would be the opposite side maybe of that same, um, that same line of thought. And this could sound narrow to us, especially in the day where, where we have made the, the way to God so wide that we've lost Christ in it, right? And so, um, for those outside of Christ, for those who have not partaken in the body and the blood, those who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, the Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing for you to observe. I, I, I would encourage, if you have not stepped across the line of faith, if there's never been a moment where you have joyfully lifted up your life to God and said, here I am where you have placed your faith in what Christ has done. If there's never been that moment for you, then I would encourage you today, one, to do that. What a beautiful day for that. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we would love to celebrate that with you. I mean, we would love to eat and drink the feast with you in that this morning. But if not, if you're not ready to make that plunge, Now, I would encourage you just to sit and watch. And here's what you're going to get to sit and watch this morning. As people come and dip that bread in the juice, here's what you get to see them proclaiming. You get to see them say that I was hopelessly sinful. I was dead in my sin. I was under sin. And because of Jesus, because of his body broken, crushed for me, I have hope. Because of the body of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross for my sin, I have hope. So when I dip the bread, the bread and the juice means so much more than bread and juice. For me, that bread and juice means Jesus has saved me. He has redeemed me.
He has justified me. It means that Jesus has rescued me. That's what you get to see today. So I would encourage you, if if that's you, if you're outside of Christ this morning, I would encourage you, what a great morning to lift up your life and say, Jesus, will you save me? Hopelessly sinful, I need a Savior. Will you save me? And for you to give your life to Him. We would love to celebrate that with you. So communion is for those in Christ, for those in right standing with Jesus. Known sin is being repented of. Question number two. Where should the Lord's Supper be done? Doesn't give a whole lot of parameters here, but I think this is the one. The only biblical requirement would be in the gathering of the church, in the gathering of the people of God. That's where the Lord's Supper is to take place. Uh, Let me point your your attention to a couple different verses here in 1 Corinthians 11. Start in verse 18 with me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18 says this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, you might circle that come together as a church. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be um, a faction among you in order that those who are genuine, uh, so that they could be recognized. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. In other words, this thing that you're doing, you're making a mockery of it. Okay, so circle that word, come together again. So then, my brothers, when you come together... Okay, now skip down to verse 33. So we just moved from verse 20 to verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together, you might circle that word come together again. When you come together to eat, in other words, to take the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you circle this word again, come together, it will not be for judgment. So four times in 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to give this parameter of coming together. Okay, so, so the Lord's Supper is like baptism in this way. that It's a public identification. Baptism is not meant to be done by yourself in your bathtub. It's meant to be done within the people of God. And the same is true with communion. It's not to be done in the prayer closet all by yourself. It's to be done with the people of God. It's this public and continual identification that I am with Christ and his church. Okay, so so that could play it out in a couple of different ways. The, The in the church does not mean that it has to be a formal Sunday morning gathering. It could be in one of our home groups. It might be in your family. That would be the smallest kind of unit of the church, right? And so it could be in, in your family. It could be in our home groups. Or it could be in the corporate Sunday morning gather, gathering where the whole people of God in this local expression come together and we get to celebrate it, right? Okay, so, so the one requirement there, where should it be done? In the gathering of the people of God. Question three, how often should the Lord's Supper be done? Okay, part of this question probably depends on your tradition. The Bible's going to leave it pretty open here. I, here would be a couple of places that I think you can go to, though. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often, you might circle that word often, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often, circle that word, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I think if there's maybe one requirement, one kind of directive that the scripture would give us on the question of how often, or or how, like when do we do it, is often. Like that, that's the answer. It's often, right? And, and so we're to do it often. That would be the one directive. And now the question becomes, well, how often is often? 
Often is kind of a, of a vague word. So how often do we do it? And part of that's going to depend on your tradition. But let me give you one place that, uh, flip back to Acts chapter 20. So flip backwards to the left, kind of through the book of, of Romans, back into Acts. And I, I think there's one place that might kind of give us a little bit of a feel for how often the New Testament church did it. Um, this is probably one of the places in the scriptures that, that might kind of give us a glimpse into this. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And by the way, I think this is a really, really funny story. You, this might be one of those that you could be a Christian for a long time, read your Bible for a while, and not know this story. Okay, so Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And, and so the first couple of phrases are going to be the important things for us, but I'm going to read the next three verses there. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. And I want to just go on and finish this story for you, the next couple of verses. Look at this here. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, coming down to 7, 8, and 9. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And then look at this. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, never good to sit at the window with a long-winded preacher, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and taken up dead. Here's what I love. Paul is the first of the long-winded preachers in a long line to follow, right? Paul, Paul is our first. I love that. The guy, don't sit. You can, long-winded preacher, don't sit in the windowsill. I think that's the moral of the story, right? Okay, but look it back up at verse 7. On the first day of the week, so they would gather on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So I think you just kind of get the feel for probably their consistent pattern was when they gathered on the first day of the week, they broke bread. And so depending on your tradition, you may be a, a once a year person. You may be a couple of times a year person. You may be three or four times a year, the fifth Sunday of the month type of a guy. You may be an every week guy. I mean, so you, you kind of got the variety of, of different traditions that are out there. And, and so here's where I would say we're going to kind of stand on that is we want to do it often. And, and I think often is this, I'm not committing to every week logistically, it just wouldn't work out for us right now. But I, I would commit to this, that it needs to not be something that you have to kind of brush back in and, and refresh on. Often I think means that it's a continual occurrence, that it's not a random thing, it's an often thing. It's not a random thing, but it's something you do on a continual basis. It's something that is fresh, it's something that's continually before you. So we're going to do it often, a lot. Okay, so next question. Question four. How should we understand the Lord's Supper? Okay, now I, I want to tread here with a lot of humility, and I don't want to misre, uh, misrepresent anybody. I want to be faithful to what other traditions teach here and the Bible. And, and so, and this is going to be a, a major point of divergence from us and our Catholic friends. Um, our Catholic friends are going to say, and I think this is the traditional misunderstanding here, is they're going to say this. It's the Lord's Supper communion. How are you to understand it? It's a change of substance that results in salvation. A change of substance so, so when you eat the bread, drink the juice, you're literally eating and drinking the, the body and blood of Jesus. So it's a change of substance. And this is the key thing in there that results in salvation. So, so we do this and we're saved. It imparts the saving thing. The saving grace. Okay, so this is where we would come back, just like kind of we talked through the Lord or baptism last week, um, where our Catholic friends would say that baptism is a way that you're saved. You have to do that to be saved. We would take a step back and say that baptism or the Lord's Supper is not a salvation issue. 
It is grace alone through faith alone. That is how we're saved. Amen? That's how we're saved. So we're not looking for an add-on to that. We're not looking for a side note to that, an attachment to that. Um, Galatians is going to say that if we attach anything to grace alone through faith alone, that we have, we have turned to another gospel. That we have turned our back on the gospel the Bible preaches. So we're not adding anything to that. It's by grace alone through faith alone. Grace is grace because it is not obtainable. You can't do something to have grace. You, you can't do it. And so faith, and maybe I could even say it this way. Grace is what enables your faith. And so faith is not even something you do. It is something that you trust in what Christ has done. That's what faith is. It is something Christ has done. Us trusting in him. It's grace alone through faith. That's what saves us. So maybe this would be a better way to to biblically understand the Lord's Supper or communion. It's a symbolic feast or a symbolic meal that reflects salvation. So when we dip the bread and and we drink the juice, it is this symbolic and beautiful, deep. I mean, it's a significant, just explodes with beauty and depth because it's a symbol of what Christ has done in us. I mean, we get to hold up the bread and say, it is because of Jesus' body that I am saved. It is because God has crushed him that I am saved. It is because of the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross that I am saved. It's this beautiful imagery of what Christ has done in us. It's a beautiful picture. It reflects salvation. So it's this symbolic picture uh, that reflects All that God has done in us by Jesus through the cross. Last question. Number five. How should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? So so how do we do this? That's the question. And this is the main question. This is, for us and our purposes this morning, um, this is the big one. And I want to try to give you four R's here that, that I hope God might settle over your heart. Just four R's as it relates to the Lord's Supper, that when we do this, the house to this, these are four major words for us. So here would be um, word number one uh, on the how. How do we go about doing this this morning? How number one, we remember. So we have a gospel obligation to remember this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Read this with me one more time. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he is telling us, not only do this, but we do this to remember something. So do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So God is saying, do this. Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance. And I think it's interesting when you look back through the scriptures, there's a lot of times when God says to remember that that you need to remember this. And, And here's why I think he does that. Because when we remember the past acts of God in our life, the great past acts of God in our life, it gives us great faith for future acts of God. Okay, so this is how this plays out for Laura and I. One of my favorite things that we do just kind of on a yearly basis is around the end of the year, we'll go out and we'll have dinner. And and this is the intention of that night. We're going to try to remember how God has been active in our life. We're going to try to, over the last year, to recall areas, places, things that God has done that we would look back and just say, that is all God. 
I mean, that is God showing himself powerful and faithful on our behalf. And here's why I love that. Because that is what spurs us on for future acts of God. That is what gives us faith to look in our future and say, we will risk all for you. I mean, this year has been full of faith for us. I mean, we we have left some things that would have been comfortable and we have walked into things that are very insecure. And let me tell you what prods that along. It is looking in your past at how God has worked in powerful ways. That is what gives you faith for future acts of God. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the body of Christ. We remember the cross. That's what we get to remember. I mean, we get to remember this Philippians 2 idea, the body of Jesus, where it's going to say that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. We get to remember Jesus wrapping on human flesh and living among us. The body of Jesus crushed for our iniquity, our iniquity, for our sin. We get to remember that this morning. And we get to remember not only the body, but we get to remember the blood that was shed on the cross and sprinkled on your heart, cleansing it, making your heart new. By that blood, you have access to God. By that blood, you were saved. By that blood, you were redeemed. By that blood, you were justified before God. You were made right with God. We get to remember that this morning. Okay, it goes on. Not only do we remember... Here would be the next thing, is that we reflect. So you've got the remember piece, we remember the cross, and then we reflect. And here would be the, the verse for that. Look at verse 27 here. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord, and we, we looked at this verse a second ago, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, now look at verse 30 here. And I think this ought to bring some real gravity to this morning. Look at verse 30. This is why many of you are weak, are ill, and have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. This is why many of you are ill, weak, and die. Because you have made a public mockery of communion. Now, does that bring a little bit of weight in here? I hope it does. That this is that serious to God, right? So he's going to say not only do we remember, but we have to examine ourselves. We have to reflect here. Okay, so what do we reflect on? We reflect on sin. Okay, this is a time to take the Lord's Supper correctly in a way that blesses you and doesn't throw judgment on you, right? Then then here's what it requires for you to confess your sin, for you to recall your sin, for us to remember that before the cross was done for us, it was done by us. That before we do this, we recall sin. And I don't think it's just talking about reflecting on sin in a real general sense. I think it's getting real specific. I think it's saying you need to recall specific sin in your life and you need to repent of that sin. You need to confess that sin. You need to bring that sin to the surface. So, so let me just ask you this. Where, where is sin in your life? 
But where do you need to this morning to stop and think about sin? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you walked in here and man, there are serious problems between you and your wife. Maybe there's serious problems between you and somebody else in this room. Maybe we need to repent over an indulgence in our wealth. All the while, we have no consideration for the mission of God around the world. Maybe we need to repent of our gluttony. Maybe we need to repent of our addiction to pornography. Maybe we need to repent of sexual immorality. Maybe we need to, I mean, the list is long here. But I, I think God is saying this, that it's not general categories. It is specific to you, things in you that need to be repented of. And we need to reflect on that. Taking it in a worthy manner means we are repenting of sin. If we don't, we're making a public mockery of something very special to Jesus. So, okay, so we reflect on our sin, and then here's the beauty of the gospel. Then we get to reflect on his forgiveness. So whatever comes to your mind when you think sin, if you are in Christ, if you are one of his, if he has sprinkled the blood that cleanses your heart, if he has made you new, then here's the beauty of the gospel. Every sin that comes to your mind that you need to repent of, because of the cross, here is the gospel promise for it. The gospel promise of any sin, our complacency, our lethargic attitude towards the things of God, our laziness. Every one of those things that we can think of, the gospel promise is it's covered. Because of the cross, it's covered. Your impurity, it's covered. Your laziness, it's covered. Your gluttony, it's covered. Your immorality, it's covered. Your pornography, it's covered. Your whatever you want to think of, it's covered. The idols underneath all of those external things that fuel them, this addiction to acceptance, it's covered. This addiction to power and control, it's covered. Every sin you want to think of this morning, if you are in Christ, the gospel promise is it is covered. Isn't that beautiful? So now we get to feast on the faithfulness of God, the forgiveness of God. So we remember, we reflect. And here's the next part of repentance is we renew. That we, okay, repentance is not, okay, God, here's my sin. Repentance is, here's my sin. I acknowledge it before you and for a group of people. And now I renew my commitment in the middle of that. I renew my commitment to Jesus. Are there some things that you need to renew in your relationship with Jesus? Do you need to renew a battle against sin? Do you need to renew a commitment that no longer... That I will plan the death of that sin. If you have stopped fighting sin in your life, may this be a morning that you pick up the warfare, like our weapons of the gospel. May you pick up those weapons and you go to war with sin. May we be that. May we have renewed commitments to Jesus. Are there some habits that need to be established in your life? that, That you have let slip? Maybe it's getting into the word. Maybe it's reading your word. Maybe it's memorizing the word. Are there, are there habits that need to be renewed in you? Not so we can earn grace, but so we can live in the grace of God. We need to renew our commitment to Jesus. Uh, this would be another piece of that. We renew our commitment to the church. I mean, if you've been disengaged from the body of Christ, from the local expression, maybe this is a morning for you to say, I am renewing my commitment to the church. I'm going to faithfully give my life away in the context of a local church. 
If there's issues between you and people in here, that you would lay those things at the cross. And we renew our, our commitment to the mission. Like if you look at verse 26 there, I think it says an interesting thing. For as often as you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Here's what the Lord's Supper really is. It's a gospel proclamation. It is holding up the bread and juice and saying, this is what the gospel is. This is it. And, but that doesn't stop when we finish the Lord's Supper. It doesn't stop with communion. It is meant to be in our lives and on our lips continually. That we're engaged in the mission of God, redeeming people of every nation, tongue, and tribe. Okay, maybe I could say it this way. Have you ever thought about this? That it's sinful to go for weeks, months, years of our life without having gospel conversations with people? That it might be sinful if we don't have any relationships with people outside of Jesus Christ, that we're building relationships for the sake of the gospel. That that maybe that's sinful. So maybe we need to renew a commitment to the mission of Jesus. Maybe we need to renew a commitment to have people in our home for dinner that do not know and love and have surrendered to Jesus. Maybe we need to renew that this morning. So there's a renewal piece of this. And, And then here's the last one. Not only do we renew, but we also rejoice in two things. Number one, that Christ has set us free. I, okay, so the Passover meal that this is replacing, the Passover is just a shadow. And the Passover is this, this celebration of the people of God being freed by God from the bondage in Egypt. The Lord's Supper is the reality behind the shadow. It is the reality behind the picture. The Lord's Supper is the celebration of the real picture. It's the celebration of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's not a physical like release from bondage, but it is a, like a, a spiritual, this release from sin, Satan, and death. Because of the cross, we can all say this morning that we are free in Christ. No longer does sin have dominion over us. We are free in Christ. So, so here's the thing. I, I think a lot of times that, that the Lord's Supper feels more like a funeral. And we are not at a funeral. We are at a great feast. That's where we are. We're at a feast where we get to rejoice in what God has done on the cross, freeing his people. And not just freeing his people, we get to rejoice. It's a feast because we are looking forward to a future day when Christ will return. Like look at verse 26, the last three words. You proclaim his death until he comes. We get with eager anticipation as we lift the bread, dip it in the juice and eat it. We are looking forward to something in the future. In Revelation 19, it's going to be on the screen for you. You don't have to flip there, but look at this. This is what we are eagerly anticipating. What we get to rejoice in this morning. Revelation 19 verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Verse 8. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to them, these are the words of 
of the, uh, these are the true words of God. We get to look forward to the future supper with the bride or with the groom, the future feast. Amen. We, we are looking forward this morning to that future day when the father's going to look at Jesus. Jesus is going to look at the father and he's going to say, is this the day? And the father's finally going to say, this is it. Go get your bride. And Jesus is going to get his church, get his bride, and we're going to be redeemed in Jesus. Finally there at the marriage for the feast of God. We're going to get to sing the eternal praise of God as we feast in the eternal feast of God. Amen. So until that day comes, we look with eager anticipation for that day. And as we're here, as we look forward, may we live for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. Amen. Pray with me. Okay, so this is, this is how this works for us this morning. Um, Kevin and the guys are going to come up and they're going to sing some songs for us. And as they sing, we're going to give you just a few minutes to, to think and reflect. They're, they're just going to play instrumentally for a few minutes. And there's going to be some passages up on the screen for you just to maybe read through. If you've got some that you can recall that you want to flip to in your word... And your Bible there, feel free to do that. There's going to be four or five passages. They're going to roll through the screen. I'm just going to invite you to look them over. I mean, this is your time to remember, to reflect, to renew, and then finally to rejoice. So for you to look the screen over, make sure you're in right standing with God as you... You can bring your family, however you want to do that. You're more than welcome to do that as a family. You can use this altar, the front of this, this stage, if you would like, as an altar this morning. If you'd like to come forward and just, just pray by yourself before God, you can do that. If you want to stay in your seat, you can do that, wherever you're comfortable. But, but here's going to be the challenge, is for you to be in right standing before God, before you come. And if you're outside of Jesus, man, this would be a beautiful morning for you to take Jesus. For you to run after Jesus, wrap your arms around the cross, to joyfully surrender your life to him. We'll celebrate with you as we dip the bread this morning. And so then when you're ready to, to do the Lord's Supper, um, you can come up, grab the bread, you dip it in the juice, and, and you eat it, and, and you're good. So with that said, let me read this last verse for you, and then we'll give you a few minutes to pray and to, to think and to remember, to reflect, renew, rejoice, that peace. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, so when you are in right standing, when you're ready to go, you, you feel free. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray for, for your favor and for your, just the activity of your Holy Spirit over this room this morning. God, I pray for our daddies in this room that there is hidden sin in their life that they're not bringing to the surface, not actively fighting. God, I pray for great grace this morning. God, I pray that, that the blood of Jesus might wash over that. God, I pray that this would be a morning where they might take a step toward freedom in that. God, I pray that this would be a morning where they make a renewed commitment to fight against that. 
God, I pray for our moms in here and our ladies. God, for, for hidden sin in their life, maybe just seeds of bitterness or anger or resentment. Um, God, for whatever those seeds of sin are in their life, that this would be a morning that, that you deal with those. That, that you actively engage those. So God, I, I pray for that. God, for our teenagers, that this would be a morning that, that they get right before Jesus. So God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to reign, to rule in our hearts this morning. God, convict us where we need it. God, encourage those who need it. It's in your great name that we pray, amen.